Welcome to the Overreact podcast. In a society that puts women in a box. Let's overreact. I'm your host, Monica Mohoya. I'm your girl, Angela Wamboy. And I'm your girl, Lash Angela. Welcome, Overreactors, to another episode of Queen Hustler Season 3. We want to grow to 1 million streams this year, and you can help us do just that. So if you have not subscribed to our Sister Speaks global podcast pages, you can head over to Apple, Spotify, Google, Anchor, as well as Capital FM page on SoundCloud. So um, let's overreact. Let's get into it with today's conversation, which is very much aligned with my own journey as an entrepreneur. Um, We'll be talking about the art of juggling as a queen hustler. So if you're listening in, this is for you, queen. If outside your nine to five, you still find time for your other talents while working to give yourself the skills of balance and grace. Well, 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 we have this amazing conversation that you need to stay tuned. Don't switch that button. Um, we have Dr. Ijeoma Kola, whose current role is a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Notre Dame. Outside of that, she's an incredible content creator. If you don't follow already, please go to Instagram and do exactly that. She's the executive director of Cohort Sisters and the CEO and mastermind of Safe Journey Retreat, which our organization got to be a partner with. Uh, I met you in 2021 um, during an International Women's Day event at Ikigai and we connected over what you were achieving with Cohort Sisters. I'm glad we have still maintained that connection because look at us now. So <laughs> without further ado, Ijeoma, I'd like to officially welcome you to the Overreact podcast. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe a fun fact that nobody knows. Ooh, fun fact. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the Overreact podcast, ladies. A little bit about myself. Oh, I'm a Nigerian-American married to a Kenyan, um, so really (laughs) consider myself a product of the diaspora, a daughter of the diaspora. I am an academic, I'm an educator, I'm a entrepreneur, I run a nonprofit organization, I run a for-profit organization, Um, so I do a lot of different things, but I'm just continually on a journey of life. My name means safe journey, and so I kind of... Wow, that's so cool. Wait, I thought it was obvious, but yes. Ijama means literally EJ in Ibo is to go, and Ama is good. So when someone is traveling, you tell them Ijama. Tell them travel well, travel good, travel safely, safe okay. journey. Wow. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Y'all is the whole branding. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So wait, maybe that is a fun fact for people who might not know. Yes. My name means Ijama in the Igbo language of Eastern Nigeria. Wow. Amazing. Wow. So on that same tip, now we're understanding where the inspiration for Safe Journey came from. Yes. Um, so how did you connect the dots as your role at, from, you know, being an educator to a content creator to cohort sisters to Safe Journey Retreat? How th- That's a lot going on. How did Yeah. They- but just before you chime in with the, you know, Dr. Ijeoma, <laughs> I'd like to hear your coming to America story or how you ended up in the States. Sure. So I came to the U.S. or I went to the U.S. from Nigeria when I was about 18 months old. My mom was a nurse. And so she I have an older brother. So my brother is four years older than me. So he must have been like five. And then shortly after I was born, she left 
us in Nigeria with my dad and my grandmother and went to the U.S., went to New York, went to the Bronx um, to be a nurse. There was a nursing shortage in the U.S. in the early 90s, and they were looking for lots of nurses. So if you, if anyone's familiar with the nursing industry in the U.S., tons of nurses are Nigerian, tons of nurses are Filipino. Mm. And, and Kenyan as well. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. <laughs> like UK too. Yeah. Thing, yeah. Right. And so um, that's how we got there. My mom moved and, and left us for about 18 months and then earned enough money to bring her husband and two children over. So that's how I ended up in the U.S. And then we grew up in New Jersey. So I'm a, I'm a Jersey girl. Oh, my God. Yeah. The strength of an Jersey African woman. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. um, but in terms of connecting the dots between my education and academic pursuits, being a content creator and cohort sisters in the retreat, I would say that the first two, being an academic and being a content creator, were actually very separate for about 10 years. Um, I started creating content when I was in undergrad, when I was finishing up university, really as an escape from doing schoolwork. Like, you know, there was a lot of stuff happening as everyone's university days are drama filled. Um, so I had gone through a really big breakup. I had decided not to be a medical doctor anymore. So I was trying to figure out my life. Um, and one of the things that I decided to do was to go natural. I had had my hair relaxed when I was three years old. So had literally grown up never knowing what my hair looked like. Um, and around that time, 2010, 20. 2009 to 2010, there just were a lot more articles in Essence specifically, which I read religiously, um, <laughs> Essence magazine about natural hair. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing differently. And so I'm going to go natural. And when I did that, there weren't really anyone. There was one other woman on campus who I remember who actually wore her hair naturally. There are a couple of people who are natural, but they always wore their hair in braids or they always got a silk press. There was one person who actually wore her hair in a fro, but I didn't know her like that. So I couldn't talk to her. <laughs> so I didn't really feel like, you know, I had anyone who I could talk to. So then I started making YouTube videos to talk to other people who around the country, around the world who are also kind of learning about natural hair, trying new products, trying new techniques. Um, and so for about five years, natural hair blogging was a thing that I did on the side of academics. So when I was doing my master's and I was doing my doctorate, I would do the doctor, I would go to class, I would write my papers. And then on the weekends, I would wow. record videos in the evenings, I would twist my hair and do a wash day and record a video about it. Um, so they were very, very, very separate for a very long time. Um, it wasn't really until I finished my doctoral program in 2019 that I started to think about, well, how does all of this fit together? Like, why am I doing, what's the point of influencing and content creation? Like, what's the point of doing that on the side? And then what was the point of this degree that I just spent seven years of my life doing? Like, what was the reason? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had time and space. Um, luckily it was, so right after grad school, I had also moved to Kenya 2019, that same exact time I was pregnant, um, I wasn't really working. I mean, I was still doing some blogging, but I had intentionally decided to kind of just take a break and reflect on life. I'd gone straight through grad school, mm -hmm. from undergrad to grad school. So I'd never really just sat down and thought about what I wanted out of life. So it was a really good moment to reflect. And in that moment, I started to create an ideology of like who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And I realized that I could, in fact, combine these two worlds, combine my love for improving health and education of black people, specifically black women um, globally and doing that through research, but also being able to build communities of black women. And I did that through content creation, um, 
through kind of convincing people that there's a world beyond their own space that are inspiring them and empowering them. And then now I've also done it through Cohort Sisters, which is a nonprofit that supports black women pursuing doctoral degrees. So building community in that way. And then the retreat is my latest way that I've decided to um, build community by bringing people from the U.S. to the continent of Africa to not only be tourists, but to really have an immersive experience where they can see themselves, they can see how closely they relate to, um, for this one, it was in Kenya, so Kenyan women in this particular instance, but the goal is to really inspire black women globally to harness their own inner power, their own, whatever their journey is, whatever their talents are, whatever they want to do, and to feel like they have the confidence and the tools and the resources to pursue those things. So it only all came together recently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I would say from 2019 onwards is when I had a lot of clarity on how all of these different things that I did fit into one another. But for a while, I was kind of just like, I, I just do these two things. And it's okay that I do these two things, because I'm interested in them. And I'm passionate about them. Yeah. How do you, I think like one of the things that people struggle with when they're like hustling or entrepreneurs, you have all these magnificent yeah. ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And and you have like for you, you have already a platform where you've got loads and tons and tons of people who are constantly, you know, watching what you're doing. But and you have this opportunity to use and harness that voice properly. How did you decide like this is a great idea. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't know if it's for now. Let me go yeah. with this. And, you know, you had, if I'm not wrong, Safe Journey Retreat was supposed to happen in 2020. Mm -hmm. And obviously, as we all know, our world came to a yes. um, complete halt. But typically, you would have just said, ah, it was for that time. Mm -hmm. Let me let it go. I've moved on also. Mm -hmm. What made you, how did you decide that that's what I want to do? Was it like people approaching you in your DMs? And then what made you still go ahead and do it regardless? And how right. did you pivot during that time when you planned all these things? <laughs> and then closed. Oh, gosh. Um, so I think there are two different ways that I decide what to do and what to work on. Um, one is a combination of passion and skill. So there are certain things that I think I'm really good at. Um, I try to be honest with myself. Like, I'm not good at everything. I'm good at lots of things, but I'm not good at everything. And so there's some things that I feel like, not only I can do, but I know I can do really well. For example, I can teach people who want to live, a, pursue an academic life and also want to be on social media. I know how to do that. I'm one of the few people who has done that um, in our community. So like, that's something I know for sure I can do. So, so when I have new ideas, it's like, okay, are you, is this an idea that's unique to you or is it something that you saw someone else do and you think you want to do? So one, figuring out what is a combination of skills you have and a passion that you're interested in. That's one of the things that kind of drives whenever I do something new. Um, that's another way that cohort sisters came about, right? And so this idea that I already knew what it was, what it felt like, the journey of going through a doctoral program. So I had that skill. And then I also had the skill of digital community building through being a content creator. And that was a unique skill that I was able to bring together with a passion of helping other people. And so cohort sisters made sense to me. Um, with the retreats, I think there are other things that I do that feel like they are placed on my heart by God. And so the retreat was one of those things um, where I, I distinctly remember... <laughs> Oh, it's going to be so cheesy, but oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so during my baby moon, so baby moon, um, we went to Watamu 
was so great. <laughs> I had a fantastic time. I was just like pregnant in a bikini. It was so fantastic. Um, but I was able to do a lot of reflecting during that time. And as I mentioned, I had finished grad school a couple of months before. So it was really the first time that I got to sit down and think about what I wanted out of my life. Yeah. You're also preparing for motherhood. That was my first baby. And so I was just doing a lot of reflection. Um, and in that moment, I felt that a word had been put on my spirit to bring people to the African continent to transform their own lives and to tr transform themselves collectively. Um, so that's how the idea of the retreat came. It was supposed to be 30 women coming to Kenya for my 30th birthday in September oh, 2020. That was the original oh, vision. Wow. And then, um, you know, had put it together, had started advertising, had sold tickets. And then March 2020 happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at that point, like, n none of us knew what was going on. Like, the when, world could have really ended. When was it supposed to be? When it was, was supposed to be September 2020. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So by, and so I had this idea September 2019. So I was like, okay, I have a year to put this together. Yes. Tickets probably went f up for sale maybe January. I probably announced it at the top of the year. And so I had sold some tickets. Um, I think about like 12 tickets already. And then March happens and I'm like, well, this is clearly not going to happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I have to, I refund everyone and I'm just like, well, I just have to sit and wait because that clearly was not in the plan. That was not, God didn't tell me that we were going to have a pandemic and I should hold off. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, once, because it, it felt like something that I had been called to do, that's why I continued to pursue it. I think that maybe if it was just something that I felt like I could do or wanted to do or, or just wanted to try something, I wouldn't have felt as strongly about making it happen. But I made it happen because I felt like a calling and it felt like a purpose that was put on my heart specifically. And so I rescheduled it for the summer of 2021 when <laughs> things, you know, people started to get the travel itch and again, sold tickets. I hired a, a retreat planner. I paid her a lot of money. And then I got a job in the U.S. Um, I got Gosh. this postdoc position and it started a week before the retreat was scheduled. And I was like, for a whole week, I was like, I can do it. I can fly over to the U.S. and then fly back to Kenya a week later, start the job and then do the retreat. And I was like, girl, you can't do this. Like, you really cannot do it. Like <laughs> so I had to cancel it again. Um, and I think at that point is when I really started to feel like, well, damn, this is never going to happen. But I kept returning back to, like, this was put on my heart for a reason. Um, and so, yeah, then, then we rescheduled it for... Amazing. Final time. Wow. <laughs> and it, it was it amazing. It was both the way. Oh, and I, I, love, I agree. Yeah. I love how passionate you are about like honoring that inner voice mm -hmm. and, you know, that calling. Um, so it was definitely very divine and very intentional. I'm just curious, um, was the diasporic divide between black women and African women um, informed by your academia research? Or how did you discuss, I mean, mm -hmm. discover that gap and how did you... Um, you know, come up with a retreat as a way mm -hmm. to bridge that gap because it's amazing. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So it was not informed by research. It was informed by my personal life. So growing up as an immigrant, I like to tell people I grew up in America, but I grew up in a Nigerian household in America. So I'm not American. I'm Nigerian <laughs> with an American yeah, accent yeah. and American passport, yeah. but I'm Nigerian. <laughs> I grew up in a very Nigerian household with like everything you know to be a Nigerian household, that was my life growing up. So very strict parents, mm -hmm. um, like very kind of constrained rules around how you could interact, very high expectations around everything in life, especially for, I'm the only girl. So especially as the curfew. only girl, <laughs> what is a curfew? Like, where was I going that I needed to come back home? There was African no going parents. anywhere. <laughs> so um, it wasn't until, and I also grew up in, 
by high school, I grew up in very white environments. So I went to a private high school and I, I was on a scholarship for, but everybody else was like driving Porsches to school at 17 because that's that's just what, the, what their families had money for. And I was driving like a 10-year-old Mitsubishi, <laughs> like a really janky car. But um, it was when I got to college that I started to really interact with black Americans um, and started to really see that there was not necessarily cultural differences, but there were, I feel like there were misunderstandings between black Americans who had grown up in the U.S., who came from generations of folks who had been in the U.S. versus those of us whose parents had more recently arrived or who we had more recently arrived ourselves. Um, One of the things I will never forget is when I first went natural, my mom (laughs) <laughs> this, is, this is like so stupid <laughs> but my mom was like oh so you've joined the black panthers and i'm like girl oh, first of all. <laughs> like they were in the 60s and 70s like it is 2010 like the black panthers are not a thing anymore but like that was her idea like my parents had very very warped ideas about what black american culture was um and in very negative ways and i think that that portrayal like was reciprocated in the same way that black Americans also felt that Africans were really backward and had like lived in huts and had lions. <laughs> like people actually yeah. thought this, you know, yeah. right. They thought this. And so I felt like there was wow. a misunderstanding like amongst everyone <laughs> that I don't blame us for, you know, product of colonization. We were, we received specific images. I believe we received specific images about one another to keep us divided mm, um, yeah. over time. And so that we would not feel as if there was collective <laughs> unity amongst us all. But um, so I think that's kind of one of the things that inspired the retreat, this desire to kind of demystify Africa for people who grew up in the U.S. who are um, either black Americans or even um, kind of first, second, third generation Caribbean Americans or Nigerian Americans. Or we had someone from we had folks from was it Cameroon. Oh, I'm missing this thing. Oh, you be so mad at me. We had people from somewhere else in West Africa. It <laughs> was in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be able to kind of show them, like, actually, Africa's popping. Like, it's it so is. nice here. It's like, place to be, baby. It really <laughs> is the place to be. And so I kind of think of like the future development. I think that it, it needs to be a black diaspora movement. Ghana's doing a really good job. Kenya, we're working on it in terms of getting um, people, black people from outside of the African continent to see the beauty, see the value, see the investment opportunities on the continent. And so the retreat is kind of just one way to do that. But it really started because I felt that as a kid, like I was yeah. in the intersection of these two cultures that like did not understand each other whatsoever. Staying on that topic, how do you do the balancing? You're academia, you're a woman, yeah. you're a mother, two continents. I'm just in awe, like, how you flawlessly just, you know, <laughs> do this life. <laughs> and then what was the that decision or what was the push for you to go academia route? Because, girl... Oh, those are two very different questions. Which one do you want to hear? You want to hear the answer for first? All of it. Okay. <laughs> Let me start with the academia and then I'll get to balance. Um, why I went to, into academia? I went into academia because I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. That is the honest answer. So I, mm-hmm. in college, um, you know, started college thinking I wanted to be a medical doctor. My mom was a nurse. She had left nursing eventually. But, you know, I grew up in a household where you're 
options really were a doctor, engineer, lawyer, maybe <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. laughs> pharmacist. Like, and I was good at sciences, so it was like, okay, you're going to be a doctor. And, but I actually genuinely, I think I genuinely wanted to be a doctor at one point. Um, I wanted to be a pediatrician. I love kids. And so wanted to be a pediatrician, wanted to kind of treat diseases and, and cure boo-boos and all of those good things. Um, excuse me. But, oof. Then the organic chemistry classes came and then the physics classes came and I was like, I actually do not care about cells and atoms and molecules. Like I literally do not care. And so I struggled with those classes. I, I don't think, be, not because I couldn't apply myself or didn't understand, I just, I did not care. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that I cared more about the health of people, not their, the inner workings of their body. And so that was that was kind of late, not late realization, but I realized it by junior year, by that time I had taken all these science classes and so my choices were to either finish the major, which is at that time was molecular biology, finish the major and be mad or <laughs> sad, or switch my major to something else. So I decided to switch my major my junior year, entering my junior year, to history and science, which was the only major. I went to Harvard for undergrad. It was the only major at the school that allowed you to count science classes towards the degree, but it wasn't a science major. So it was purely a... A, like a decision of convenience. Um, I didn't know what history, I, history is actually my worst class in high school. Like I didn't care about history. I was just like, I need to graduate <laughs> without a C GPA. Like I need to just graduate in a way that my parents will not be side-eyeing me for why they paid for my school <laughs> fees. Um, but then as I started taking classes in the major, I got really interested in thinking about the history of how different health disparities came to be. Mm -hmm. So understanding racial disparities, urban environment disparities, you know, the role of um, gender or age or your zip code on your health and started to get really interested in those things. And then I, on, I think I was just too scared to look at other options because postgraduate education was something that I was always expected to do and always thought I would do as a medical doctor. It was just like, okay, I guess I won't be a medical doctor, but I'll be this other kind of doctor. <laughs> so yeah. then I then I applied to PhD programs and I got in. But um, I, did, I never kind of like, I was not that girl who was like, I want to be a professor when I grow up. That was not my dream. Yeah. It was, I just kind of continued to follow the path uh, and then reached a point, tried to drop out of grad school many times, <laughs> tried to quit many, many times. And you, you eventually reach a point where it's just like, it's too late to quit. Like you've, yeah. you've put in too much time, you've put in too much energy and you just got to finish it out. Um, you just got to, yeah. And that's, I, I found myself there probably by my third year where I was like, oh, I don't think I want to do this anymore, but I don't want to start over. Yeah. I have, I got, I got funding. So I just kind of kept on doing it. So that's the academia story. Very accidental um, in terms of how I got the doctoral degree. And then I'll come back to how I actually decided to work in academia, which I never thought I'd do. But I'll get to that now talking about balance. So um, I'm so, I was chuckling when you said I flawlessly balanced them all because I don't <laughs> look like, like you I are. Flawlessly, right? Girl, I don't be posting everything. <laughs> <laughs> I post very selectively. Um, so I post when I'm feeling inspired and not when I'm struggling. Um, yeah, I think for me, part of it goes back to, you know, how I was raised. So I had a very strong mom who, you know, had, as I mentioned, like brought her entire family over to another country mm. by working herself like her, mm. to pay for three flight tickets. Like, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and she did it all by herself. My dad was like a newspaper editor in Nigeria, so not 
he was not helping yeah. <laughs> with that. Um, love to him, but like that was not his ministry back then. And so, you know, she really worked really hard to bring us over um, and then worked really hard. Like when we first got there, you know, she was the one with a career my dad had was trying to kind of figure out income generation like when we first moved but she had the stable career and then eventually she realized that i think when we were in kind of like elementary school moving into middle school a nurse that's a long shift she worked seven to seven the 7 p.m to 7 a.m shift so when we got home from school we would have to go to the basement and be silent because my mom was sleeping um this was a huge sacrifice for her and I think one day that she realized, like, I actually want to spend more time with my children. Um, and so she she figured out how to switch careers. She got into real estate because it allowed her to have oh, a that's flexible. A huge job. I know. Yo, my mom is literally a G. <laughs> She's such a boss. She's just such such a boss. So she became a real estate appraiser with my dad. They opened their own business, so they were entrepreneurs, and they did it in such a way that they created their own schedule. So anytime we three kids. This person had soccer practice. This person had viola lessons. This person had SAT prep. They were able to be able to, sh they shuttled us to all of these different things because they intentionally thought about their career as a way to, they, I feel like they built their career around their kids. Um, and so I had that model growing up where you can work, you can do something you care about, but you don't need to, like your family does not need to be second. And so I decided when I was in grad school, and this is one of the reasons that I, you know, was really hesitant about academia for a while, is that I wanted to build a life where I could spend quality time with my family. That's something that I had the luxury of. I had very present parents, too present at some points. <laughs> but, um, you know, now that I'm older, like, I really appreciate that. Like, they really... They somehow were able to afford all three of us, but they also were there. They were, we had family meetings. We had dinner together almost every single night as a family. And I think that those kinds of values are really instrumental to how I, how I was raised. And I wanted to be able to replicate that in my life. Um, so in terms of how I think about balancing career and, um, and work and family and all of those things, at the end of the day, I'm not going to do anything that, I feel like compromises my family, which people might be like, well, that doesn't make sense because you moved to another country and you were away yeah. from your child and your husband for some time. Um, okay, for me, that was an opportunity to really advance this one aspect of my career, knowing that I had a partner who was equally as able and desired to be a present father um, and a present partner. And so when we decided that I would take this job in the U.S., I would work at the University of Notre Dame, and that would mean that, you know, we would be apart for a little bit because he has a business here in Kenya. The decision was not, oh, you know, like, should you take the kid by yourself? It was always like, immediately, he was like, I will stay with our son while you wow. go and pursue your, immediately, like, there was never a question about, I'm now going to move with the kids. And there's there are women who will hit me up and be like, well, I got this really awesome opportunity. I'm thinking of taking my two kids with me to go and do school. I'm like, and where's your husband? Like, what? Why who, Why can't someone else? Why are we kids? always castigated for leaving? We are castigated for leaving. But also, I think we often burden ourselves with the responsibility that if we are going somewhere, we have to take our kids with us. Yeah. 
And not to say that we shouldn't think about the children, but there are two parents in a household, right. or there should be two parents. If you're in a marriage, you, there should be two people. And so you should have another person who's able to take care. Of, like, why would you have a child with somebody who can't take care of your kids? I just don't understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so for me, you know, it was very easy to make that decision because I had a partner who felt equally as strong and intentional about his role as a parent. Um, And so there was never a question like, oh, I couldn't do this because I had to take the kid with me. And we figured it out. We would balance. We would alternate kind of like who's with him full time. But being able to have a partner who allows me to fully pursue my career in whatever ways that that makes sense for me, that makes sense for our family, is something that allows me to have this quote unquote balance that y'all think I have. (laughs) I don't really think I have, but you know, as, as good as I can make it work, it's because I've partnered with someone who doesn't think exclusively that a woman's role is to be in the house all day. Cause if I want to be in the house all day, that's fine. But like, that's because I want to be, not because you expect me to be. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really different, I'm trying to be in the house all day at some point, (laughs) but not right now. Definitely. Um, wow, just an amazing journey thus far. And shout out to your mom, the original Queen yes, Hustler. Yes, the original. <laughs> so one thing I love about your journey is you talk about these moments of sitting down and reflecting. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing everything that you know now, what are some of the things you wish you knew about being a Queen Hustler? And what would you want to pass forward to another woman who is looking to keep her job and also her side hustles? Yes. So I think like balancing your time, managing your time is really important when you're doing a variety of different things. Um, I feel like this is where people often go wrong is because they want to make a lot of progress really quickly in their nine to five. So they maybe overschedule themselves at the outset. So oftentimes what I'll see with new influencers is that they'll post like, oh, every single day for like two it's weeks. Not, and then they're, not it's not realistic. And then they'll be like, well, I'm tired now. And they won't post for a year, right? <laughs> so you have to manage your time. You have to balance your time. Um, you have to think long-term. And so you can't just start a side hustle and kind of like go a thousand percent in and wear yourself out really quickly or burn yourself out really quickly. You have to pace yourself. You have to think about how does it look like to do this long-term and to do it sustainably? I think the second piece of advice that I wish someone had given me was about when you start earning extra income, that means that your tax liability also goes up. <laughs> and so the first time that I like made significant money from my content creation business, oh my gosh, when it was time to pay taxes, I, I was so sad. <laughs> I, was, I was so really sad. All the profit that I thought I had made was just money I didn't, I never paid taxes on. And so I had to, I owed like, so embarrassing. I owed like $25,000 in taxes. Oh and was just like, this is my whole bank account. <laughs> like I was really, really sad. So just remember, you know, not only to plan out your time, but to think about if you're making extra money, that money is not just yeah. for buying handbags and for taking yeah. trips to Dubai. To be, like, you've got to be wise. You have mm-hmm. to be really, really smart about it. Make sure that you're setting aside money for taxes because the government will come for you. <laughs> well, it's been interesting to see and to learn how, you know, how to be a queen hustler and with what you're doing, it's amazing. And as we come to the end, I have a final. So basically, we, we give uh, our guests a billboard. 
Maybe it might be in Uhuru Highway, but it's definitely going to be digital. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe you need to reconsider which picture you I know. Yeah. I need to have an updated headshot. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but in this in this picture, it's going to have, like, your name and your, you're going to complete the sentence. Okay. Entrepreneurship is? Entrepreneurship is the freedom to earn revenue by pursuing your skills and passions. I love that. Drop mic. Yes. <laughs> All right, you have been listening to the Overreact Podcast, a space where we openly ask the tough questions and have hard conversations to trigger change. So we want to give a special thanks to Kofisi9, where we're recording, took place. And if you're a content creator, this is the perfect spot for you to get creative. So do check them out. We drop a new episode every Monday right here on Capital FM at 10.30 p.m. EAT. Then you can digitally listen to us tomorrow on Tuesdays or whenever on our SoundCloud page on Capital FM Kenya. And also follow Sister Speaks Global Podcast pages on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Anchor. And then you, you can interact and follow us on Sister Speaks on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and also overreact on Instagram. You've been listening to your girl. Queen Hustler, Momo Oya. <laughs> you've been listening to your girl, Angela Momboy. And you've been listening to your girl, Lash Angela. And I think let's also learn to look at the people around us. You never know who's teaching you a lesson. So ladies, let's, let's overreact. overreact.